Tuesday, April 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. How's it going, guys? It's going Good. very well. How about you? Glad to be here. Uh, earnings Palooza just mm. rolls on. 170 companies in the S&P 500 reporting this week. We're going to talk about absolutely every one of them. No, we're not really. Uh, we are going to talk about Coach, Travelers Insurance, Radio Shack, and Netflix. Um, we're not going to talk about Yum! Brands because they don't report until after the market closes today. I'm just going to say this about Yum! Brands. Um, I think they're going to report a horrible quarter. And the reason I say that <laughs> is because twice in the last 24 hours, I've been contacted by the PR department at Yum! Brands. Really? Asking me if I'm interested in talking to their chief public affairs officer. This is completely out uh. of the blue. This has never happened before. And it just makes me think, okay, why would they do something like that? Soliciting good PR. So either it's we're going to have an amazing quarter or uh. we're going to have a horrible quarter. I, I'm just going to say right now, I think in a few hours when they report, it's just going to be horrible. Listen, but before the numbers come out, we just wanted to go ahead and talk to you, get a few things If you would like to yeah, out of the open here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's start with Netflix. Netflix added more than 3 million subscribers in the first quarter. I can probably just stop right there. Yeah. They added more than 3 million subscribers in the first quarter. Share, shares up more than 20% this morning. Matt, uh, obviously there are more numbers than that, but this is this is... 2013 has been an amazing year so far. My goodness, it certainly has. There are a lot of, you know, as we were discussing before the show, there are a lot of big issues to talk about. Is Netflix going to be the next HBO? Is it going to be the next cable company? You know, but you got just focusing on the quarter for a second. This was a great quarter. I mean, 1.2 billion in revenue. That was 20 percent higher than the estimate. 30 31 cents in earnings. Crushed estimates of 18 cents. This is this is to me. House of Cards was a hit and. But more than that, it was about Netflix using its data to create a show uh, that they knew millions of people would like and want to see. And, you know, it brought in, I guess they had this trial period for House of Cards. It brought in a million uh, new uh, subscribers to, to Netflix. Only 8,000 of them, I guess, around there. Yeah, the reten- took, took the free trial and left. The retention rate was really high. Amazing. Uh, and so, you know, they, people came in, they liked the show, and they said, hey, I'm paying eight bucks a month here, which is, you know, less than 30 cents a day. For for what Netflix has given me, I'm, I'm sticking around, and I think that's that's the value proposition. That's what Netflix is doing. Is, I mean, they're they're now getting into their own content. They're creating so much value for what is still, still such a low uh, subscription price. Now we can debate whether or not they can sustain that, but this is a huge value proposition. I'm not surprised that they had this big rebound uh, and big growth in in streaming members. It was earlier this year, Ted uh, Sarandos. Sarandos? I mean, uh, uh, however I'm pronouncing it, I'm sure I'm doing it incorrectly. Uh, The chief content officer for Netflix told GQ Magazine, the goal is to become HBO faster than HBO can become us. That, to me, signals that uh, the investing thesis for Netflix has changed, whereas... Early on, it was these are the DVD by mail people. Then they're the first big mover into streaming. This seems like now, if you're investing in Netflix, you're making a different bet. It may not be a bad bet. One could argue it's an even better bet. But it seems like the investing thesis has changed. Yeah, I mean, I would fully agree with that. I mean, I remember years ago when we were looking at Netflix just as DVD by mail, and it was just unbelievably convenient, a wonderful service. Uh, but times have changed. Obviously, the Internet has uh, has brought new new uh, ways of getting content into our lives. And so I, I, if that was an interesting comment, I, I think, from, from uh, Sarandos. I mean, 
to me, it implies, I think, that number one, they, they look up to HBO from the original content perspective, yeah. which I think is, is, is the right thing to do. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that Netflix is pursuing original content because honestly, I think that's where they need to go. Um, as an HBO subscriber, you know, I think that HBO has probably beaten them to the punch in that regard just because the HBO Go app, the streaming app is so friendly and so usable and just has a, a tremendous amount of great original HBO content. Um, I don't subscribe to Netflix, so I can't offer really any feedback on their original content. It seems like it's, it's hit or miss, but with House of Cards was, was obviously successful. Uh, I, I guess my concern is, is really what Maddie was bringing up there, though. It's, it's the price at $7.99 per month. While that's a great price, we know what happened last time they tried to you know raise prices and split the business apart. And obviously, that wasn't a very strategically well thought out play. Right. At some point, they are going to need to raise prices. I mean, it's just the, the math doesn't really work in their favor. They have five and a half billion dollars, you know, in debt. Just you know, these content deals alone. So then, I, I guess I wonder at some point when they have to raise prices, how that will affect the way people view the service. And so, really, I think the key is. They need to get some good hits under their belt to be able to validate raising that price. If they can do that, then I think raising that price incrementally becomes a much less difficult thing to do. And uh, you know, at the same time, it can still work on bringing more subscribers into the door. There was a survey done by Cowan and Company. According to the survey, two-thirds of subscribers said they would leave if, if the fee went up. Um, it seems like that is the Achilles heel of this company. It is. that That is the question. I would say... What Netflix can do, I think, better than HBO. I, I don't think Netflix will ever be on the same level of HBO in terms of the quality of the content. HBO's got such a great history uh, and creative teams. But what Netflix does have is data, uh, years and years of data of what millions of people watch and like to watch and when they watch. And that, to me, that makes uh, Netflix such a formidable uh, content creator and buyer. And... I, I, Netflix might not have a lot of hits, but I, I feel like their chances of having hits are, are actually higher than HBO. HBO's got a lot of shows, uh, a lot of them that actually don't, you know, aren't that big of hits. We, we know the big ones like Sopranos, of course, and uh, Game of Thrones now, and a few of the other ones, but I think, I think Netflix actually has a bigger chance because they've got years and years of data knowing, I mean, House of Cards is a great example. Yeah. They knew that millions of people liked Kevin Spacey. They knew people liked uh, political dramas. It was kind of the perfect. The uh, series had already been very well received over in the UK, so it wasn't you know exactly. they they weren't creating it from scratch. They were doing sort of the American version of it. Exactly. Which, frankly, if you look at the history of television in the United States over the last forty years, that's a playbook that's worked really well. Right. I mean, All in the Family, you know, being maybe the, the first <laughs> classic example of a show just or, sort of. Like, I mean, yeah, you look at something like The Honeymooners and how many sort sorts of shows spawn yeah. from just that sort of relationship. I think uh, one other interesting sort of of of. Pers- Perspective to look at, and we were talking about this before, t- before taping, is how how Amazon plays into this, right? Uh, because you know, if you're a Prime member, then you obviously get this the streaming part of Amazon for free, or, or it's included in your price tag. So you're sort of seeing this this progression now, where if Netflix is moving more towards the original content side, and I actually disagree with you there. I think that Netflix can produce that that compelling content. I mean, I think that really that just takes time, though. I think that just takes a lot of time. And the more hits they produce, then I think it becomes a little bit more attractive for people to sign on and try. So I do think that possibility is there. But it seems like now Netflix is realizing that if they want to become more of an HBO, is Amazon kind of backfilling that 
that space where it's just sort of the all you can eat sort of mediocre content that no one really cares about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they they had those fourteen new pilots that were out, and, and I've I watched the Onion News Empire, which I thought was actually pretty funny, and the other one Alpha House, which you know I could take it or leave it. I don't really care, but I mean it, it all is just rel- relatively uncompelling content versus something like uh, an HBO does today, or I think that Netflix is working towards. So I think that's really the key for them. I think if Amazon calls us and says we want market foolery, the musical, we can do it. I mean, we just jump on yeah, that sure. immediately. We can do it. Um, let's wrap up on the stock. Uh, as I said, Maddie, 2013, an amazing year for this stock. I believe it was $92 a share on January 2nd, and now it is it is well more than doubled in such a short amount of time. What do you think of the stock today? Is it now richly priced? Is it still is is there still value here? It's again. It's a, I'm not a shareholder, and props to all the people who are because you're having a heck of a great day and certainly a great year. Netflix is doing their best impression of Amazon stuff, <laughs> right? I I will say so. I I own shares of Netflix. It's also the biggest recommendation in the Supernova service. So those two things ahead of it. We also have to remember that um, there was a tremendous amount of short interest in Netflix stock, even. A few days ago, leading up to these er- latest earnings, there were still 7 million shares short. 14% wow. of tradable shares are short. Wow. Those guys have just been pulverized. Uh, sorry, shorts. <laughs> but at, here at, here at two, $215 a share, you know, a, a roughly a $12 billion, $13 billion market cap, I think there is potential for even a greater value for Netflix in the future, looking at a long term. I mean, you know, you still, you got 30, I believe 36 million streaming worldwide subscribers, uh, you know, paying say, an average of $8 a month. Um, that's a tremendous amount of, of long-term value from each customer. You st- if you start thinking of Netflix as, this is the this is the entertainment conduit. This is what I do. I graduate college, or I'm in college, or I graduate college. The first thing I'm going to do is, I'm not subscribing to Comcast or Verizon or you name it. I'm, I'm signing up for Netflix because that's, what, that's how I'm going to get my content. That is... That, to me, is a much bigger company than a $13 billion market. Well, and to your point about how many accounts they have around the world, I saw one analyst on CNBC this morning saying his price target was $250 a share, and he was essentially writing off the rest of the planet. He was just saying, I'm not counting. <laughs> this. The, my model does not build in any growth, any expectations anywhere other than the United States, so to the extent wow. that they can grow it overseas. I'd love to see his assumptions, but wow. <laughs> Third quarter profits for Coach rose more than 6%. Companies increasing its dividend by 13%, and shares were up more than 10% this morning. Good day for Coach shareholders. <laughs> yes, it is, and I'm one of them, actually, so I'm feeling pretty good about this. But, uh, I mean, we, we've thought for a long time that Coach, anywhere under $50, was, was very undervalued, and it wasn't taking into account the potential uh, for global growth that this company has. And that is the big takeaway from this quarter, I think, that investors need to focus on, is there is a, a big global opportunity still out there for the, for these guys. Uh, the headline news is that their, uh, their chief creative uh, designer, Reed Krakoff, is going to be leaving the company's not going to renew his contract in 2014. Uh, so definitely an understandable concern there for people, especially with CEO Lou Frankfurt stepping down as well. Yeah. Uh, but with that said, they've done a good job of developing a, a good team under them. And 
at this point, I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll be able to, to continue uh, putting out great stuff as they sort of make this transition towards a lifestyle brand. But but again, I think Global's the really big deal here. They're buying back uh, the interest, the 50% interest in their joint venture in Europe uh, to really begin growing out that presence. China still represents a tremendous opportunity, and they're going to be rolling out more partnerships in the geographic regions of Latin America, the Middle East, and the Asia-Pacific regions. So all in all, today, a third of the company's sales are global. Uh, you know, the other two thirds comes, comes out of the United States. Uh, that number is going to, is going to change here over the course of the next decade. We're going to see a lot, a, a lot more, uh, coming out from the global, the global segment there. And I think that's what, uh, investors need to be paying attention to. It seems like the last couple of quarters have been kind of rough r- yeah. r- relative to the previous couple of years, which were great for coach. When you look at this quarter, do, do you think, okay, we're over the hump? Everything's fine now, or is that, or, or is someone who is doing that reading far too much into one quarter's results? Yeah, I mean, I try not to look at that kind of thing from a quarterly basis. I mean, I don't know that there ever really is a hump for them to clear. I think the big fallout was a few quarters back when they announced. Uh, you know, they basically referred to 2013 as an investment year. It was going to be a, a year where they were going to be investing in the business, focusing on growing the business, and that investors today or back then were not going to be realizing a, a whole heck of a lot in the way of earnings. And that probably scared a lot of people off, particularly because retail is such a fickle sector. But the bottom line is that the investment in the business is what they needed to do. They become more vertical. They have more control over their supply and distribution chains, uh, which ultimately will lead them to greater profitability. And this is already a company that maintains 70 plus percent gross margins, which is just phenomenal to think about. And, uh, and I see really no reason for that to continue. So, so I think it is a great long term investment with a very uh, shareholder friendly management. They just upped the dividend, which I think is great. Uh, a lot of good things to, to take away from the quarter. And so, if you have shares today, I, I, you got to hang on to them. No, no more worries about Michael Kors then? I was never worried about Michael Kors to begin with. I mean, there's some, some reasons I think that investors should stay away from that company. Um, that said, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like if right. Coors wins, Coach loses. I mean, there's room for both players in this world, and uh, and I think they'll both you know continue to do relatively well. The Dow Index is up this morning, and Travelers is one of the reasons why. Uh, shares up 2 3% this morning. First quarter earnings came in higher than expected. They raised their quarterly dividend. Um, it's now $0.50 cents a quarter. Uh, we were talking beforehand. I, I had misread something this morning, and I mistakenly thought that they had raised their quarterly dividend from $0.04 cents to 50 cents. 50 cents which, and a which would, umbrella. Which would be uh, just way too much. But uh, seems like a very good quarter. And as you were saying, sort of on the heels of Hurricane Sandy as well. Yeah, it was a great quarter. And, and, and Travelers has so much exposure to so many different lines from property and casualty to all sorts of business lines and, and everywhere in between. And so uh, the company has been really, really run very efficiently. And just looking back at the numbers here, I mean, their, their book value, for example, uh, has grown from, it grew from last, last year at the same time, $63.81 to, to today, $68. So significant growth there. But what I, I was really impressed by was their combined ratio, which essentially just tells us, you know, how much they're paying out versus how much they're bringing in. And last, last year at this time, that combined ratio was 92.2%. The lower, the better. You like to see it under 100%. But this quarter, it, it, they reported 88.5%, which just, that's just tremendous. I think, especially on the heels of Sandy, and there was some speculation as to really how that was going to hit some insurance companies. And so I think it it lends itself to travelers' 
they have a very reputable brand in the insurance industry. People know the big red umbrella for better or worse, and, and I think that their scale really helps them in this game. And as we've seen before, insurance prices are starting to firm up a little bit, which which certainly benefits the, the them as well as as they don't necessarily chase business. They more or less are able to let business come to them. So this, yeah, this is just another example. You know, the insurance industry was one of those left for dead kind of yeah. industries in this rally that we've had for three or four years, and. All, all the insurance companies now seem to, whether it's better pricing or, or better cost management, you know, they seem to be doing really well. It's, it's been a, a good performing uh, industry. For I'm, the past glad, few I'm glad you made the point about business coming to them rather than chasing business, and the, and the reason is because the I don't see them putting themselves out there in any sort of significant advertising way, the way that I see. Geico, State Farm, Progressive, just all these others. And, and, and maybe that's, you know, maybe they're less focused on auto insurance and that kind of thing. But it just seems like uh, they're not really doing that sort of thing. Or if they are, I'm just not seeing it. And, and I'm wondering if, if part of the calculation or part of the thesis for, um, a company like that is, well, how much money are you spending on advertising? Cause that's, that's the kind of thing that cuts both ways. I'm always amazed when, when, uh, Pepsi reports earnings and they have an executive go on CNBC and one of the things that uh, that person is always touting is how much money they're spending in marketing. And, you know, and I'm not a shareholder, but if I were a shareholder, I'd be watching that thinking, don't tell me about how much money you're spending. Tell me how much money you're making. Right. Yeah. I mean, I look at advertising and insurance companies generally. It's kind of like a, it gives you a little bit of a used car salesman sort of feel to it. I mean, it's also worth recognizing the big differences between something like a Geico that focuses primarily on, on car insurance right. uh, versus a traveler's, which – I mean, yes, they do. They do focus on car insurance along with every other type of insurance in in the world. And so, Geico has to sort of chase that business because you know to drive a car you have to have insurance. And there's just right. a wide swath of different types of, of automobile cu- uh, customers out there. But uh, but with travelers, I think that's also a testament just to the brand uh, that they've been able to to really nurture over time. It's very simple. It's understandable. It's it's memorable. You know, people know the big red umbrella. And to Geico's credit, people know that Gecko, right? I mean, that's right. that's just one of those things they've done. A really good job with, but it's also worth remembering the lines of, of business that they're in. Radio Shack's first quarter loss widened sharply. Earnings came in way below expectations, and yet for some reason, Matt, when we came in the studio, <laughs> shares were up more than 4%. What What is going on with this company? Because before the market opened, the shares were down more than 7%, and so seeing that double-digit swing makes me wonder... Is someone seeing some kind of significant upside in a company reporting earnings like this that are just missing wildly? What? I, yeah, my only explanation is... What is the silver lining? Because all I see is cloud. Right. I, I, I still see cloud. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear... I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, CEO Joe Menyaka, I believe. Or, he's new. He's, he's a new. He's, he's a new yeah. CEO. And you know he's he he might have had some comments I think on the on the conference call saying hey you know we're this is part of the we knew we we're going to go through this pain we're rebranding the stores we're going to remodel a lot of our big uh, stores you know maybe there's some there's some positive things that investors are getting out of that but I have to say you know same store sales were down five point seven percent that's that's a pretty starkly bad number it's not J C Penny bad but it's no. <laughs> it's fairly bad you know and again we're talking about a three dollar stock that's down I think around fifty percent over the past year. You know, maybe the news wasn't just as dire as, as people were thinking, and there's some there's some positive things to glean from it. But 
ultimately, I was trying to figure out what what could what could make Radio Shack a great investment from here. You know, and what I keep struggling with is, you know, I think of it as okay, it's that small electronic store now. I go to CVS because, you know what, I need to go to CVS now and then pick up a prescription. And, you know, yeah. it's always like I pick up the prescription and I also pick up, you know, the laundry detergent I need because I forgot to get it at the grocery store the other day. There's no reason for anyone to go to Radio Shack. At least I don't have a, <laughs> feel like I have a reason to go to Radio Shack. And that's that always worries me when I start thinking about, well, then then then, then Amazon's just got to be eating their lunch, right? Or if you were just looking for, like, a stray cable or something, well, you can get that from a Target. Okay. Right? Oh, I mean, yeah. It's... Sure. The, so... Looking at some of the analysts' comments in the wake of these earnings, it did seem like there, some of the Wall Street analysts were cutting the, C, the CEO some slack because he's new. <laughs> so on the one hand, Don't I thought, well, off. that. Well, on the one hand, I thought, well, that's that's appropriate to give the new. You know, he he's not responsible for these numbers. He just got there. On the other hand, I thought, yeah, but he's still the CEO of Radio Shack. Sure. And unless he has. Fairy dust and a magic wand. I'm not exactly sure, what, you know, how this turns around. Unless there's a real estate move here that that when people talk about Sears, they right, say, "Well, look at, the, look at all the look at all the real player. estate they have." Right. But I don't know. What, I mean, is that the move that you do you just flip the real estate and turn it into a, a Radio Shack REIT? This is this is one of those you definitely kick over to the you know the deep value kind of analysis. The special say, ops people. The special ops people. You know, they 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 do some scary stuff over there. Uh, Tom Jacobs, but uh, you know, and that looking from that lens, maybe there's some value. There's some intrinsic value there in Radio Shack at three dollars and whatever. That there there could be some value taken out of it. But gosh, you know, if if the if the top line is sort of in a death spiral, which we've got to believe it is for Radio Shack, that's such a, a hard thing to climb out from underneath. Yeah, I think most of their property is leased too, and I don't know how much property they actually own on their balance sheet at all. Last I recall, I remember looking at their balance sheet and them overwhelming majority of it was just obsolete inventory anyways, which you probably have just a tough time giving it away. Well, and that's and that's such a, with Radio Shack in particular, it's such a tough inventory type of store, right? Because yeah. they have such weird kind of disparate, as you mentioned, like that one little cable that I need for this one <laughs> device that I bought 10 years ago. It's just... How do they source that? And what do they pay to source things like that? It's 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 hard to it's hard to keep costs low for that. Good luck, Radio Shack. We're, mm. we're, we got our fingers crossed for you, but we're not we're not we're not betting on you. Uh, Jason Moser, Matt Argus, here, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. If it's for this edition of Market Fool, our producer is Matt Career. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.